Look, have mercy on me. What's up, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of On the Bluff. I'm your host, Christian Fowler. Joining me, as always, my co-host, Gabe Kuhn, and our producer making poopy pants faces over there, Kenny Stubblefield. Poopy pants is. faces. You ever I just, like, look at the camera and go, I'm out of, I need, I'm, like, sitting like this. Like, I just need to just scoot over just a little bit. Not used to being on camera. Not used to being on camera. I'm not used to this. You look good on camera, though. We we talked about it last week. You look great. <laughs> he does. So the only the only positive of not being in studio is Kenny can be on camera with us the whole time. Me and Gabe have clamored for a Kenny cam for over a year now. Still hasn't yeah. happened. So when we're on, well, here, honestly, we the real it. reason we want it can we like be full disclosure here? When we're in studio, we always hear because we have the feed to the producers booth. We always yeah. hear like these little noises oh, yeah. from Kenny. Like if he burps, you'll hear a, like on the, and then you'll hear like a, you know, like a Christian, Christian does not cuss. His lips will start smacking. We have rarely does Christian cuss. While we do the show, show, though, we have basically an ASMR episode going on in our (laughs) ear. That's why we need a Kenny cam. There's, there was one time in the middle of a, in the middle of a, uh, I think we took a break or something. And he was like, if you don't effing stop. Chewing gum what, in my ear. I was what like, episode know. was it where he was? It wasn't just chewing gum because we know the chewing gum. It was when he was eating. He was like yeah. snacking on yeah. something. And yeah. he and like Kenny makes subtle noises when he smacks. Like yeah. oh. and very then, sweet. That's sweet subtle noises. He'll give it a mm, mm. yeah. We don't we don't have to say exactly what this is, but a lot of times you'll cheer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 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 That happens often. <laughs> it's yeah. either chewing gum. I'm in the middle the... of talking about Naquan Tomlin, and I hear yeah. that. Yeah, but he's not going to be able to do that. Hitting that, hitting that vape, hitting that vape, vape, He's 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 locked in right now. I think, he hit, I think he hit. I think he hit it on the show last. Week. I did. I did. <laughs> I did. Listen, he wasn't even thinking about it. He just. I wasn't hit even it. thinking about it. It's sitting right here. It's ready to go. <laughs> He's got the regular one. He used to have. Kenny used to be a modded vape guy. Yes. Yeah. I don't know that's, if you still have it laying around. That's sitting right oh, here. There it is. Yes. <laughs> man, that man is blowing clouds in there. Yeah. That's He's where blowing the O's while we're doing the show. Yeah. That's the real deep inhale. Comes and and from now that. that you just took a drink of that, real quick, yeah. I am missing my Waterloo. I know, I man. Like, I There's some cold ones at the studio. We will be back at the studio next week. We'll yes. be back, but we just needed to take another week of of no of no studio inside the inside the stream yard. Which, listen, man, it looks good. I mean, I think it yeah. looks dope. Looks fine. Yeah. It's not I just, studio, I, but it looks great. Yeah, I, uh, snow and everything's starting to melt, though. Uh, y'all, it's y'all haven't there. had any issues, have you? Mm-mm. Nope. Good. Zero. Just, just a ready, lot to get of... my, ready to get my damn kids back in school. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Has it been bad? <laughs> Too much, too much time with the old kiddos. Man, I know I love my kids; they're awesome. But man, but too much time with them. Yeah, I mean they just get bored, and it's like, you know, I got a bunch of diva kids, man. They don't want to go play in the snow. (laughs) It's too cold. You got to entertain them. My son's like, I'll be red. (laughs) I'm like, it's it's because you're a white boy getting out in cold weather. Yeah, that's what's gonna happen. Yeah, it's a whole idea. It's, it's a whole, whole idea. thing. It's what happens, man. But it's almost behind us, Kenny. They'll be back in school before you know it. Tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. We got the word. They're in, back in school. Well, today. So if you're watching this on Tuesday, they will be. Ba- they will have been back in school. So okay, I'm Good excited. To Good to hear. All right, fellas. Without further ado, 
let's not even waste time this week. Let's get into it because, Gabe, you and I have been talking about this for a month. Memphis was playing with fire. Memphis basketball playing very well, but a lot of close games received some scrutiny. Seemed to have made up for it when we talked last week with a convincing win over Wichita State, their biggest win of the year. And what do they do on the other side of that but lose two straight close games to South Florida and then to Tulane? And these are two games that Memphis had a a lead in and it felt like they were in control of, and ultimately they just didn't pull it out in the end. They didn't play well down the stretch, and they got beat in both of these games somehow. And I'm sure we'll talk about this a little bit. They're still in the top 25. They're number 19 right now. But there's no way you can feel good about this at all. And this is what we, like I said, this is what we've been talking about. We've been saying, look, we're not being negative. There's nothing but overwhelmingly positive about this team. But we know the game. We know sports. We see it all the time. And you can't play with fire over and over again without bad things happening. And one loss would have been one thing, but back-to-back is tough. And so here we sit, Memphis back-to-back losses. How do you feel, Gabe Coon? Um, concern, uh, you know, concern level one to 10, I'm probably at like a seven and a half or an eight about them sort of rebounding. Um, we just saw this coming though. Like I figured that they'd lose one game coming up, not two straight though, a quad three and a quad two, one of them being a quad three at home against a bad South Florida team. Like that was just brutal to watch. They had a 20 point lead. Um, there's a stat out there I think about like losing 20 point leads as a top AP top 10 team. They're like one of the very few, if not the only that has been, that has done that at home. But um, I mean, largely the reason my concern meter is so high is because of what Penny Hardaway has been saying, right? Like the losses I figured in the preseason Tulane was going to be one I circled on the road. Didn't think South Florida, right? Um, but if you just sort of put the losses in a vacuum, they're still 15 and four, like they still have a lot out in front of them uh, and they can write the ship. But when you hear what Penny's talking about, it becomes a little more, a lot more concerning because he's talking about chemistry. Um, he's talking about like he is the only coach I have ever heard. I've, I've listened to a lot of pressers, I, like truly a lot of pressers. I know Kenny has because he has to go in and uh, record all these pressers. He is the only coach I've ever heard in any sport, I think. I th- I'm pretty confident saying that. That has said, I have to avoid playing certain guys on the floor because they have personality clashes. That's paraphrasing, but that's what he said. That's the only time I've heard any coach say that. So, like, there's just, you know, I can get by with the losses, they could start winning here soon, get back to their winning ways. We've seen it. We've seen what this team can do. But what Penny's saying, I think, has staying power, and that is scary. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that because, like you said, a couple losses with the talent of this team, especially with UAB and Rice coming up, you feel pretty good about rebounding in those games and getting back to winning ways. Then Wichita State, a team that you – just got your biggest win of the season against, and then Temple. So, like, it's like the next four don't seem overly concerning, but it's it's what Penny's saying. It's what's happening in the locker room that becomes more concerning because we we've seen Penny talk about it in the past. You know, not being able to play play certain players because of the adi- the attitude that they have and the way that they're acting and egos. And here we go again. And 
I think this probably happens all over the country and in a lot of sports. It happens every year here, though. At some but point, there's always that day of reckoning. Right. It, it, it's a constant here. It's a constant at the University of Memphis, and it becomes concerning, especially when you have a team that is so good. Like, th- this team is so good and so talented, and there's so much in front of them. They've been so successful this year. But then you, this is worrying. This is worrying, and that's not the only thing that he said that concerned me or that kind of took me off guard a little bit. He also said, like, we're a last four-in type team. That's what we are. That's what we have been. And I don't really know how he meant that. I don't know if he meant it as, you know, we're used to being in this position and, you know, back up against the wall and we can play like that. Or if he meant this is just who we are. We're just a last four-in type team. We're not a top five, six seed line type of team. I don't think he would say that, but that's at least what it sounded like. It did, it did not sound good at all. And I don't even like referencing the past with this team at, yeah. at all because it's a completely different team. You can't reference being a last four-in team, even if it is we've been in this position before, our back's up against the wall. This team has not been in that position. This is not the same team mm-hmm. from last year. This is not the same team from two years ago. This is a completely different team. They're not on paper a last four type team. No. Uh, they haven't played like a last four type team for ninety eight percent of this season. That's not who they are. They should be a top five or six seed if they play up to capability. But now you look around. You got four losses. You still got two games against FAU. You still got another game against Tulane. You still got another game against uh, Wichita State. Which, as I mentioned, I know they blew them out. But Wichita State has not been bad this year. They've been pretty formidable for the most part and you start looking around and you say well we we felt pretty confident about memphis being a high-seeded team come ncaa tournament time and that's quickly dissipating like that's quickly going back to eight nine seed is where they're heading because they can't do this because you can't look around and say oh they're going to win these games they're going to make up for this right when they're losing games to south florida and when they're losing games to tulane who's not a bad team but these are two games on paper they should have won. As you mentioned, they were up big 20 points against South Florida, blew that, lost by one. It's just it, they're not in a good place right now. And you, I think you summed it up perfectly saying you look overarching view at all the numbers and stats and record and all this, and it looks good, but you take the deep dive on Penny's comments. You take the deep dive on what's happened in the last two games. You just optically watch what's happened in the last two games, and it is a little bit concerning right now. Uh, now, with his last four in, com, com, uh, you know, whatever he said, his comment, um, I'm hoping he's talking about historical significance since he took the job. That's what I'm hoping he's talking about. You can read it however you want to read it, though. And I think that it's just not – it's not how he should be terming this particular season yeah. or being t- – he shouldn't talk about that this year because you have a tremendously talented roster. Do I think they miss a guy like Caleb Mills? 100%. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but – this entire year, once he put together the transfer portal class and brought together all these different guys that were ones or twos at their particular place, when he put this together, the expectation was to get out of the 8-9 game. It was always that. Like, there was nothing less than that. It was going to be a 7-6-5-4-3 seed. That's what everybody wanted. That's That's what this collection of talent led everyone to believe, and especially how they played in the out-of-conference. So I think even if he's talking about historical significance with that quote that you brought up, it still does not hit the same. That's not how we should be talking about this particular team. Now, as far as on the court and and 
um, some things that just really piss you off and bother you about what you've seen from this team in these last two games. Two things that just seem so easy, innate, something that out of a timeout or when you have some time, you should be able to draw up and understand. Two things this team struggles with incredibly bad. One, out-of-bounds defense. Holy mother of God. Sion James, who killed you from the three-point line and killed you all day, he gets a wide-open corner three with two minutes to go, and you're up by one. That wasn't and a penny like, thing. That was a David well, Jones regardless, thing. <laughs> regardless, it all – in the end of the day, what, no matter what Penny does to deflect blame, it always comes back to the head coach. Right. Like it always is going to come back to that. You can say I have the best game plan ever, but if your if your guys aren't executing the game plan, what does that say about you and the way you are pushing it to them? You have to get across to them. But regardless, the out of bounds play to Sion James, and then the other thing, the final possessions in those two losses. What I mean, maybe Javon Quinterly in the in the USF game, you can't really do much about it. You got what six seconds, and Penny tried to call a timeout, but regardless, there wasn't a plan there. But the one against Tulane, what in God's you didn't name? Like you, that have shot? 12, you have 12 seconds to go, and they just sort of pass it around the perimeter. You're down by two, by the way. Pass it around the perimeter, and they just heave up a three-point ball from David Jones. You didn't like that shot? Who has not been particularly great from the three-point line since entering conference play. I just I, – listen, the shot is whatever. I just – there was no plan. There was no play drawn up. There was no action. It was just sort of – all right, let's dribble it out here and take the last shot and try to go win the game. They didn't try to get to the rim when they were down by two. Didn't try to force overtime. It was just, let me heave this three. Yeah. And I, I'm just like, what is that? What? How? Of all the things that you could draw up and do on the final possession, that's what we ended on? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there there does at times. I'm not going to say it's, you know, 100% of these games, but the last two games, like, it just has felt like a team that is – a little bit off and a little bit out of sync. Like they just don't look like the same team that just a week ago, you know, beat Wichita State by 26 points. And we were saying, okay, here could be the breakthrough point. And it, it's been like that a lot. Like, I'm not going to act like this is just a new problem. Like it's just these last two games, they haven't been in sync. I mean, you go back to the UTSA game, like there are multiple games where they just haven't been fully in sync. And I think, I think that's another reason for concern because you're at this point of the season you're over halfway through the season, and you still, in some of these games, can't get on the same page. Even weirder than that to me is that when it is a big game, they look in sync, and they look like they're playing together, and right. they look like they're playing well. And then you get in these other games, and it's like people just kind of want to take over. It's like they can really only play good basketball or their best basketball against quality opponents when they play teams that – aren't great or that they feel like they should roll over. They just don't look in sync on the floor. So I, I have an analogy I, about this. I have yeah, an analogy and, and Gabe will, Gabe will understand this and, and Christian, you will soon enough. But um, when you're married and you uh, <laughs> Christian, <laughs> um, when you're married, what is the definition of a good marriage? Is it the, going from like moment to moment, like vacation to vacation, big moments, happy moments. Is it, is it being really good in those moments or is it those mundane every day right. yeah. working together as a team? Is it, is it like coexisting, cohabitating, like fulfilling each other's goals, you know, those kinds of things. 
a sign of a good marriage is not being able to go from like one Cancun trip to a Dominican Republic trip to the Bahamas to this to that. It's to easy this. to be happy in those. It's moments. easy to be good then. It's easy to be happy when you're right. on the beach all the time playing and frolicking in the sand. But when you're having to pay bills and when you're having to get up and go to work and when you're having to see each other when you're sick and when you're having to all these kinds of things, that's when it, and that's where we're at right now for this Tigers team. They are in the midst of that mundane doing life with each other type of thing. And we are seeing that, man, there's some struggle there. Yeah. Kenny Stubblefield, the philosophizer. I like that one. That's really good. That's a great, that's a great analogy. analogy. That's a really good one Uh, because this team just has to learn, man. They have to learn how to really step up in these type of moments. And, And here's the other thing too. I think it's even more so than the players, right? I think, especially in that South Florida game in that second half, I saw the coaching staff. I saw Penny sort of take his foot off the gas emotionally. They didn't press uh, and, and put as much pressure on ball in the second half. They didn't know what to do against the 1-3-1 zone, and Penny didn't take timeouts to really explain it to them. I just think this – everybody, coaching staff, support staff, players, like they have to pull in the right direction and get it right in those normal moments, in those yeah. moments against UAB on a freaking, you know – Wednesday night like they just have to pull in the right direction they have more than enough talent and I see this too I see people talking about Caleb Mills being out and that's big it's huge I'm not doubting it at all um their perimeter defense has not been the same since he left but at the same time it can't possibly be this bad consistently just because one guy's out yeah that's a want to and I think that's a leadership thing more than anything yeah Caleb Mills is gone you could talk about the on-court stuff to me, it's substantially more about off-court and what he did in rallying that second group and the sacrifices yeah. he made. That's more important than anything really he did on floor, and he did a lot on floor. All right, so let me ask you this, Christian, as we're about to move on. Give me one or two fixes. Both of y'all give me one or two fixes for this team. Like, what do you see coming out of – the season's not over. They're 15-4. Right. and four. Everything is still in front of them that they can get, but what are some things – Based on these last two games, some of the comments that you're hearing, what is one or two fixes for this team moving forward? Well, I think I think I, I talked about this last week on Gabe's show. Like they just have to take, just treat every game the same. To me, that's the biggest. I know that you know we can go through underlying issues and on the court and all these types of things, but these guys are veterans. They know how to play. They know how to play in different systems. They know how to play against different defensive schemes. I think it's just a level of being bought in and a level of taking every game like it's like it's the utmost important. Treat every game, treat that Wednesday night game against UAB like it is, you know, a, a Saturday afternoon game against a top 20 opponent at home. And if they treat every game like that, they could win every game on the rest of their schedule. There's no doubt about that. Like they're talented enough to win out on this schedule. It's just, do they put that importance on every game? Do they bring their A game every game? Like, can they get that motivation? Can they find that inner motivation to say, okay, this is what we're playing for? Let's not look at today. Let's not look at we're playing one of the worst teams in the country today on the road in front of 800 people. Let's look at it as this prepares us for the moment. This gets us to the moment where we're getting to play in big-time NCAA tournament games as a high seed and, you know, potentially – make a run at it. And if they if they can do that, they're fine. I, I think that fixes almost everything if they can do that. I think that the, that that is definitely one thing I would point to. The second point 
is I think you could have all the intensity in the world, but if you're still playing hero ball on both ends the way this team does, you'll still have some struggles night to night. Uh, they had more turnovers than assists in the game against Tulane. They had 14 turnovers, 12 assists. I mean, uh, David Jones, he's unbelievable. He's one of the best offensive players, best players in college basketball so far this year. But he's got to learn to share the ball. He had 32 points and 11 rebounds, no assists. Yeah. So, like, you just have to be better at, at sharing the ball on the offensive end. And I think on the defensive end, I know that hero ball is something that is attached to strictly offense. Oh, this guy just tries to go get off the bounce. He tries to get it for himself. But on defense, I see it too, man. When the ball comes off the rim um, and you're and you're trying to transition into your defense, sometimes you just have to let that, that rebounder go and you have to get back. That's what happened in that UTSA game. They just had a bunch of transition threes that they knocked down because no one was back. I think that they uh, try to jump passing lanes a little too often um, to try to go get knockaways, which is not a bad thing, but you have to be more careful and more sound defensively. Um I just think that on both ends, playing a little bit more within yourself and in structure with a team would go a long damn way. And I don't think it would hurt for Penny to drop a few things on the offensive end, but I'll, I'll leave that. I'll leave that out yeah. for a second. Yeah, I agree with that. All right, Kenny, let's transition. Let's talk about Jordan Brown. We talked about this a little bit last week and the potential of it rumors started swirling around and here we are and the news has been broken that he is coming back uh, i mean <laughs> who knows i want to hear both of y'all's opinion on this because this is one of the stranger stories that have happened during penny hardaway's time at memphis which has been marred by some pretty crazy things <laughs> going on but this this might be at the top of the list several months ago um, or, or in the spring, Memphis gets Jordan Brown. It's a huge addition, yada, yada, yada. Go into the season with high hopes. This is one of the best players in the country, one of the best bigs in the country. He looks pretty terrible from day one, looks out of shape. There are reports coming out that he is out of shape in the locker room or behind the scenes that he's out of shape during practices and stuff like that. Doesn't play well, ultimately isn't with the team, is sick for quite a bit of time. And then the rumors start swirling that he's coming back, and now he is back. So very – up and down roller coaster of a story. What do we think about Jordan Brown coming back? Let me first say I am glad to hear uh, that he's gotten over his sickness. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's first and foremost. Whatever it was made him lose some daggum weight. I'll tell you that. <laughs> he looks a little, yeah, he looks a little more in shape, brother. I can't I lie. Mean, let me get that, bro. When I used to live in China, they used to say you're only one uh, Chinese parasite away from your ideal body weight. I'm wondering if, like, <laughs> the Dominican Republic, he got a parasite and did he get? Did he? Did he? Did he get? Uh, did he get Ozempic? Yeah, he, he caught the old Olympic. Yeah. <laughs> good God. But no, man, um, as far Coming as this return. Fresh chop, you know, looking good. Uh, yeah, you know? <laughs> I, I I don't know, you know, as far as like where he fits in, he doesn't necessarily fit in at this particular moment. He's not going to get a lot of minutes. Um, so he's got to check his ego at the door. If he's willing to do that, that's fine. Now, if Malcolm um, and Naquan continue to foul they, the way they are, he will he get might. minutes. Here's my concern. This went from, you know, reports of the team not being so open to the idea to in a week, hey, he's on the team. I want to know within that locker room, and we'll never fully get this information, 
I want to know who voted no and who voted yes and how many are on each side. Because <laughs> from my experience, it just sort of feels like you had a lot of no votes, maybe a couple of yeses, but the coaches still made the decision for the for the team ultimately. There's yeah, only, they wanted the team's input, but there's only one vote we want your matters, good input. Gabe. We want you to agree with us. And he's there's only back. one vote that matters, Gabe. You could have 150 no's. Exactly. <laughs> there's only one yes. vote that matters. <laughs> that but exactly. That's my point. Like I, I just wonder how it plays behind the scenes with that sort of that's the feeling of it for me. It feels yeah. like coaching staff, regardless of what the players really wanted, coaching staff was like, yeah, we're bringing him back. He's coming we back. We need him. Yeah. No, I mean, I think, th- I think that's probably true. But I also think that if these players – I mean, these players are going to – these players just want to win. These guys just want to win, man. And, and if Jordan can help them do that, then by all means. Um, but, you know, like you said, I mean, he's coming in – to a very clear pecking order. I mean, Malcolm, it, it definitely felt like Malcolm was um, played with a little bit of a chip on his shoulder Eight against blocks, Tulane, didn't it? God. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. The dude was everywhere. And, and so, you know, maybe hearing some of the things that were, you know, being talked about him on Twitter, you know, after the USF game, plus Jordan coming back, maybe that kind of reinvigorated Malcolm. But, you know, I don't care what, holistic medicine camp that Jordan Brown went to while he was gone. Um, if Malcolm continues to play that way, like he did against Tulane, he's not going to see minutes over Malcolm Dandridge this year. Right. Malcolm, Malcolm is by far the best big on this team right now. And yeah, so holistic. So did you, did you get that Ivermectin by the way? Aaron Rodgers suggested, <laughs> suggests that stuff. The sage and the herbs. And the- yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it works. It yeah, works. Nice. Bro. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so, it, there's a pecking order in that front court. Back to what you were 100%. But again, it's like you, I mean, you look at that two lane game, Malcolm fouled out with like seven minutes left, and Naquan had four fouls the entire game. And I think, like, I honestly think Naquan starts off with four fouls. Like every game, it's like, <laughs> hey, let's get him four fouls. Right off it's the like, rip. right off the rip. Like, hey, we know you're going to have four fouls. He just fouls so much. Anyway, um, but I do think that Jordan is, is clearly. You know, I think Penny's looking at it like in the long term, the grand scheme of things. I can bring a former Lou Henson winner off the bench in need in, in replacing Malcolm if Malcolm gets in foul trouble. Like, hell yeah, sign me up. Right. So and I think the players are gonna be fine, man. I think the players yeah. will be fine. I, I'm sure there's a risk. You're you're running a risk. You're running a, a risk. Thousand percent. Don't get but, it twisted. Because if this goes bad and Jordan Brown has an ego and pisses everybody off, that's, that's where, where you have a lot of to. players start to say, Okay, well, the coach has decided to do this and he's doing the same exact shit he did before. Right. Yeah. Do we trust the coaches the as much? You're running a risk. If you if you listen to Penny, they're already feeling that way anyway. So why not bring the kid back? You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like yeah. they're already feeling that way. There's already issues among the team before Jordan Brown. So bring Jordan back in and 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 what is that old adage, man? Two and, negatives and, equal a positive. Is right. No. I'll tell you what the positive is. Winning cures all. Yes. Yeah. So like no, no matter what true. no matter what happens, if they come out and they beat UAB, Memphis media is going to stop getting off their high horse and 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 will, you know, stop, you know, throwing out some of those old shady comments from a few years ago when Penny freaked out um, right. on them. Uh, Memphis fans will calm down just a little bit. Um, you'll stop hearing those nonsense 
remarks from Penny about issues within the locker room, the team is our, is going to be like, yeah, man, Jordan's back. He's our guy. Yeah. All it takes is one win. Yeah. One win. Yeah. It'll be fine. Okay, so before we get to the hot three, I got something real quick. So Penny is doing his radio show right now at Brookhaven, and our good friend Parth tweeted out a couple quotes. So I'm going to read these quotes real quick, and then we'll get to the hot three. I'm um, nervous now. I'm nervous. Oh what God. is he saying? When, when Christian Christian is doing hey. it. <laughs> yeah, he's surprising Jesus. us with these things. All right, these, come on. Way better. These are way better. That's what I kind of wanted to, to gloss this back End up. on a good note? End on a yeah. good note? Okay. Uh, he said, we set out to do something special at the beginning of the season. We have to regroup. We're looking to play for something way bigger than the conference title. I like yes. that way better, first yes. of all. <laughs> um, Thank you. Better than yes. the last four in. Yes. We're a last four in type team. For sure. And then this one, I thought this one was interesting because Gabe basically nailed this on the head. Someone at, uh, He was talking about uh, Caleb Mills and said, this is Parth tweeting it. This isn't an exact quote. This is kind of paraphrase. Um, but says it isn't just the defensive impact Mills brought that is missing, but that Mills was the Tigers' emotional leader and someone who would speak up in yes. team huddles. And then his actual penny quote following that is now we have no one speaking up in the huddle. So that yep. just kind of this just kind of continues to to layer the discussion that we're talking about and mm -hmm. just continues to show that this team is missing something. But if they can get that, I think we all believe that they can get back to that point. Now, talking about emotional leaders. Gabe, I don't know about you, but I, I think I do know who our emotional leader is on this show. Yep. Right next to us, Kenny Stubblefield, yep. the emotional leader of the On the Bluff podcast. He brings the juice. He brings yeah. the juice. He does. That's definitely he does. a sad And he sacrifices of... a lot, too. That's like a sad state of affair for this podcast if I'm the emotional <laughs> leader of the night. We, we never hear it on the Bluff podcast. We never have to worry about anybody stepping up in the huddle because we do have Kenny Stubblefield. So we're going to take a quick break. And we're going to be back on the other side to see what our leader, our fearless leader, Kenny Stubblefield, has cooked up for us in the hot three. Outside of just Memphis Conference realignment, there's been some rumblings all over the Twitterverse. TJ, you heard anything about a merger with the Big 12 ACC leftovers and uh, yeah, the I mean, Pac-2? We've heard it, but like it just seems weird to think about, right? The Pac is trying to get and retain their their AQ status. I mean, they're going to have to add some teams. I don't know what the number is. I can't remember the number. So, if it's six or eight. I don't know, well, it, I don't know that add. they're having to add. I think what he's alluding to is a merger of the Big 12. Florida State breaks away and whatever three or four teams go. Let's say this merger, they end up with 30 teams. You're looking at three, 10 team. Something like that. Mini divisions or whatever. Sure. Whatever they're going to call it. I don't know. I definitely think that there's going to be some changing. Tune in to Tigers Untapped with TJ Willis and Trey Lasley every Wednesday at 3 p.m. on the Bluff City Media YouTube channel. know that me and you both have a special place for D'Anthony Melton in our hearts. And I got over D'Anthony a lot faster than you seem to have done. But God has blessed us with someone, uh, Keith, that I think will satisfy the empty place in your heart, man, by the name of Vince Williams. How much of that empty void of the Anthony Melton has been replaced by that new thing, man, Vince Williams? Yeah, Vince Williams Jr. has absolutely filled that empty hole in my heart. I don't love watching our team. Like, it's fine, mm -hmm. but they're not awesome. Jaws, so Jaws suspended. 
Well, he's the fun guy. Like, Jaron's good. Desmond's good. The rest of these guys, I don't like watching play basketball. <laughs> so I was like, right. this sucks. Mm -hmm. And then him getting this opportunity, and it was like a game or like two games. And I'm like, <laughs> that's what I like watching play. Mm -hmm. And I, I got to say, we're now like two months into it. I'm like pinching myself where I'm like, he's better than I dreamed. Tune in to The Anthony Sane Show, Wednesdays and Fridays at 12 p.m. weekly on the Bluff City Media YouTube channel. What up, boys? We're back for the hot three and i have listen i kind of previewed these for y'all a little bit and i know christian is really excited about one of these topics and it's about to go nutsy in a second so yep. and gabe gabe will too but um uh, man let's do this go harder than me though christian yeah i think christian's gonna go harder than me on this one when you sent it i'm like christian will go on a five minute tirade about <laughs> yes, he how he loves a certain person but we'll yes. uh, we'll see We'll save sure. it. We'll save it. All right, man. The divisional rounds happened this weekend. Fun games, man. There's a lot of really good action going on. Top four in the in the uh, going to the Super Bowl. I guess it's the final four um, for for the NFL. Um, what are your guys' thoughts, man? What from some of the games you saw this weekend? Um, I want to start with uh, Saturday because I didn't like Saturday as much as Sunday. Sunday was great. Sunday yeah. was phenomenal, and I think Sunday really brings out the storylines of the entire playoffs so far like the, that the the lions winning and then the chiefs versus bills game phenomenal um but the ravens just absolutely it's not the texans time it's just no. not no, and no. i'll say this because i know that you're not a lamar jackson guy um you're just not a lamar jackson guy you don't like him for whatever <laughs> reason um anybody who ever says they don't want a quarterback like lamar jackson can get i mean it's ridiculous it's ridiculous He's I, I, unreal, I agree. bro. I mean, 111 carries, 100 yards, two TDs, threw for two TDs. Yeah. Um, he, that was an easy win at home. I feel good about their chances against the Chiefs, although it is going to be Patrick Mahomes. But the Ravens just got through that easily. 49ers look vulnerable, at least a tad bit. Um, wait, wait, wait. You just made a prediction without actually we'll making get a to prediction. It. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. We'll get to it in a second. Okay. We'll I'm holding um, your feet to the tire on that one. Um, but the 49ers look a little bit vulnerable, uh, but the Packers were kind of sneaky good, kind of sneaky good. Uh, Jordan Love, there should be some good things headed into the uh, headed into the next season. He should get another contract. Um, but the 49ers just look kind of mid until yeah. the end of the game, and then they sort of put their foot on the gas, and Christian McCaffrey started doing some things. Now, Sunday was phenomenal, man. Uh, I guess I'll start with the Lions. First NFC Championship game appearance since 1991. And Dan Campbell, three years ago, this is a guy talking about biting kneecaps and biting hunks out of people when they get knocked down and they get back up and eventually will be the last man standing. And I, for one, when I saw that nonsense, I was like, this guy has no shot. He's going to be Did an you, awful head I coach. I wondered about that. I wondered how you felt, how y'all felt about that. I, I, felt, I, I felt the opposite, honestly. Like, I love Dan Campbell. The, the only thing one. that I thought is, okay, at, at best, he'll be a culture creator and maybe there'll be a right. wild card team at some point. 
Right. But I never foresaw them being in an NFC championship in three years. Oh, I didn't. I, I didn't think and, it was that level. And you realize on the back end because it was like Jared Goff after the Rams stuff. Yeah, you're like, is yeah. he? What the hell is he anymore? Did y'all see? Um, did y'all see Dan Campbell give Jared Goff the ball after that uh, Super Wild Card game? Yeah. I loved what he said to him. He said, "You're good enough for it for here," or something yeah, like that. And I was like, is. "Dog, that is yeah. such a dope line." You know, Jared Goff is like, well, Jared Goff's still playing in Sean McVay's at home inside right. the Rams. True. Like, right, right. They, they, there was questions about him ever being like a, a high level playoff quarterback. He he answered all those all those things. But I, I got to start there though, because the Lions are my favorite story of the nfl season they are and I, I saw it coming because of how well they played down the stretch of last season but for them to take the expectations that were placed on them run with them to an nfc championship that's just nuts that doesn't happen in detroit i think dan campbell's already a legend he is already a legend in detroit gabe i have a question for you do you remember when everybody was crapping on this detroit lions draft from this year but there were two and we would podcast hosts in yes. Memphis, Tennessee that were fired up I about think their the podcast called is called on the bluff. It is. They got Jameer Gibbs been really freaking good this year. Yeah. They got Sam Laporta, arguably the best rookie tight end of all time. Oh, and by the way, who saw that coming with Sam Laporta? That was my yes. guy. In the draft. You were on that one. Hell Brian yeah. Branch been a very, very good nickel corner for them this year. Um, missing one. Who am I missing? Jack Campbell. Jack Campbell. Jack Campbell been a really solid linebacker for them. Brad Holmes. We've given him a lot of credit. Brad Holmes, Dan Campbell. They've been a match made in heaven. They've done an incredible job. I I, I love the Lions storyline. I'm with you. I think it's an incredible storyline. You go from a dumpster team to an NFC Championship game, first time in 30 plus years. It's it's pretty incredible. And the amount of culture that has to be brought in to do that is insane like we probably can't even fathom how much culture change it it, it takes to do that uh with a quarterback who has been viewed as a system quarterback and was washed up and he still carries some of those things i mean nobody's sitting here clamoring for jared golf to be in a conversation for a top five quarterback but he's ran this offense perfectly uh he's done an incredible job they built it through the trenches. You look at what they do up front with that offensive line with Panay Sewell and Frank Ragnow and Taylor Decker. Frank uh, Ragnow's a tough son of a bitch, by yes, the way. Yes, he is. Can we talk about that? Yes, he is. Holy hell. All yeah, pro they, center hurts his knee and his ankle in the same exact game and just stays out there, and he's probably going to play the, in the NFC Championship. Yeah. It's nuts. He sprained both. Right. So they're, they're a really fun story. Uh, I'll jump back into Saturday really quick uh, and just hit on it. Ravens, like you said, they were too much for the Texans. It's, it's not the Texans' time yet. They weren't yeah, supposed to be here sorry. at this point. Uh, they deserve a ton of credit for just being in the playoffs in year one under D'Amico Ryans with a rookie quarterback. Uh, they weren't supposed to be here at all. And so they did They did an incredible job, D'Amico Ryans and that staff. Arrows pointed straight up, even though they may lose uh, offense coordinator Bobby Slowick. Um, 49ers, Packers. Brock Purdy didn't look great. Debo Samuel goes down. They're saying there's a 50-50 chance of him playing this weekend, so that has to bring some concern for the 49ers, especially against a team that is relatively similar to them offensively and a team that can run the ball, control the clock, that will out-physical you. This is very much a strength-on-strength strength game uh, when you look at, at each team's offense. So mm -hmm. we'll see how that plays out. I'm intrigued by that matchup, but... 
it's one of those that you don't know because the 49ers can come out and be skull crushers one weekend and then they can come out the next weekend and not look wonderful. And the Lions seem to pretty much always bring it, at least bring that toughness and that edge to them. I know we're going to talk a lot more about this in the next uh, segment, but Bills, Chiefs, another classic. This is, I know that CBS built this up as like, it's Manning, Brady, 2.0 and it, 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 it no I don't one really ever like, really thought that right no nah, I don't really like comparing it like that it's just, just a it's a really it's two really good teams and two of the best quarterbacks in the league that consistently meet in the playoffs because of what I just mentioned and it seemingly is always a very good game and it was another classic game back and forth could have went either way a couple of plays here and there you get the uh the fumble out of the back of the end zone which I know you're going to hit on in a second <laughs> Uh, here that felt like okay the bills are going to win this game now and then you get a just a beautiful throw from josh allen to stefan Diggs that goes right through his hands two two separate ones yeah two separate ones but the you know the deep shot was is the one that everyone's going to talk about that's a really tough one then you got tyler bass missing a field goal that could have tied the game like this was another crazy wide right as soon as cb put up the nine for nine in the playoff graphic for tyler bass i'm like he's cooked (laughs) he's gonna delete his twitter tonight and he deleted his twitter so Um, gabe before we move on to segment number two i know you want to talk about two pretty controversial or at least two um two storylines yeah from this weekend one being what i just mentioned uh the fumble out of the back of the end zone which happened in the chiefs bills game and then the Buccaneers going for the yeah. two-point conversion on the front end instead of the back end. Also, I don't know if you saw this, but they did, they could have called a timeout and gotten the ball back at the end of the game, yeah, but they didn't. They sure. sat on the timeout. So uh, run through that for us real now, quick. Now, real quick, though, on the Josh Allen, I, I want to just touch on the Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes thing being built up as Manning versus Brady. That was all. It's always been stupid. Yeah. It's one-sided. Josh Allen, is, uh, he's 0-3 against Patrick Mahomes. And, and also, like – when you look at the wins that he's gotten, he's got five playoff wins. His first one was Phillip Rivers with the Colts in 2020. Then it was Lamar Jackson getting a concussion in the third quarter when he won in 2020. Then it was Mac Jones in 2021. Then it was Skylar Thompson for the Dolphins in 2022. And then his only win this year was was Mason Rudolph and the Steelers. Like, as much as I love Josh Allen and I'm not blaming him for losing in the playoffs and I, I think it's unfair to, to, to nail him to the cross for losing that game last night or two nights ago when, when this comes out, um, he is not like they have not accomplished near enough to be in that Manning Brady. It's just not. I mean, Manning had MVPs. Brady had Super Bowls at that same time. Yeah, and like you could go back and forth for a while until Tom Brady took off with all of his Super Bowls. So that's the last thing I'll say on that. Now, first, let's break down the uh, uh, McCole Hardman gets an end around on like the three yard line, fumbles it out of the back of the end zone, and everyone wants it to change. Wants the the rule to change. They say it's too punitive. Um, can I ask you first? Can I ask you this first? And maybe you'll disagree with me because I don't think the rule needs to change. What do you think about that? Why do we? Why do we constantly? get into these conversations where we decide to be reactionary because we don't like the outcome of certain plays. Like, why do we have to be so reactionary? I don't know. This this one's been a conversation for a lot of this season, and I, I don't really know. I don't really know. It is a it is a weird rule. So I don't really know. I don't really have an opinion on it. Like, I'm fine either way. If they change it to, you know, the ball goes back to the offense, if it goes out of the back of the end zone, cool, I can see an argument for that. And if they keep it as a touchback, I can see it as that. Like, I just... 
I don't know. It's one of those things that's so it's so 50 50 to me. Like it's just an up in the air thing on how do you deem what's necessary? Just as a guy who played football my entire life, we were always taught to play good football, not bad football. We were always taught that we're not going to be incentivized to play bad football. You don't reach the ball out. You don't fumble out of the back of the end zone. That's bad football. And consistently we find this on defensive, like guys on defense that hit guys too hard or whatever. Like, um, yeah, defense, uh, Tom Brady talked about Gardner Minshew and some quarterbacks throwing their wide receivers into concussion balls, how that's a bad habit. We, we keep doing this thing where we're incentivizing bad habits and it's starting to piss me off to be quite frank with you. Like in the end of the day, what McCall Hardman did there was bad football. What Andy Reid drew up was bad football. Why are you handing it off to a guy who already fumbled in the game when you're when you're running back ran for fifth? Uh, he had 15 rushes, 97 yards, and a TD, and the Bills had no chance of stopping him. Isaiah Pacheco, I'm speaking of. Why do we have to incentivize and you know keep the you know the 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 punishment from being lesser because they played bad football? I just get annoyed with it, man. And I think everybody gets so bent out of shape and they get so reactionary about these things. We've had this rule since the beginning of time. And we want to change it because your beloved Chiefs fumbled it out of the back of the end zone and the Bills had another chance to go win the game. And then also, you're not going to sell to me that it makes the game bad. Without that play, without that play a couple nights ago, that game is not as close. That game is over right then when Isaiah Pacheco eventually punches it into the end zone on the next play. So, like, yeah. I just don't get why we have to change things because people get their feelings hurt. It's stupid to me. It's consistently stupid. I think if you make dumb decisions as a football coach, if you make a bad play as a football player, you should be punished. Now, if they do change it, people are talking about, like, oh, five-yard penalty. No, it should be close to as punitive. You should put somebody back on the 20 like a normal touchback if they're going to keep the ball in the offense, and it should be loss of down. Like, you should not be giving people free passes for making stupid football plays. I'm getting sick of it, man. Now, all right, next, we did have the uh, going for two down by eight thing with Todd Bowles at the end of the game. I was kind of surprised Todd Bowles did it because he's an old football guy. I don't know why you chase points when you don't need to chase points in that moment. The thought process apparently is... If you get the two, you can go for the win with an extra point on the next time. If you score again, I, I, okay. But then if you miss it, you're going to have to go for two the next time just to tie the ball game. And there's going to be a 55% chance to go put it in the end zone. They say it's 55% to go for two and it's 95% to kick an extra point. I guess the math, if I, if I have this right by the analytics crowd, I heard Chris Collinsworth going through the whole thing. If I have this right, you take the 55% chance to go for two when you're down eight as opposed to the 95% chance to go for the extra point because you could potentially win the game next time around. That's that's why that's the that's the idea of the whole thing. If have you heard this whole thing, Christian? Yeah, yes, I have. I guess that's sort of the idea. So I 55% get. is better than 95% so long as you have a chance to go win the game. I guess so. <laughs> What the, what, seriously, and I'm going to cuss here. What the fuck are we talking about? <laughs> Just kick the damn, what's so wrong with overtime? For real. We changed the rules. 
everybody's going to possess the ball unless you give up an opening touchdown. But like, I, at the same time, <laughs> why, what's, what do people have an issue with overtime? Like, why is this so we have so much freaking analytical information that we have become common sense, stupid. Yeah. Just kick the extra point, take the 95% chance to go tie the damn game. And here's the other thing. And this is a novel concept. This is a novel concept. You can kick the extra point there. You don't need to chase the points. Guess what? That 55% chance to go win the game with a two-point conversion, that'll be there if you score another touchdown. True. You'll, you'll be down by one. You can go. Isn't that a novel concept? It's crazy. Go win the game in a do-or-die situation. Don't put yourself in a do-or-die situation by missing the first two-point conversion. I just, people are, and everyone seems to just accept it as fact. Like, oh, the analytics say it. You have to do it. No, you don't. Because I also know the analytics don't take into account the mental fortitude of guys on the field. Baker Mayfield, as soon as they missed that two and he got the ball back, what'd he do? Do you remember? Threw a ball into traffic with a minute and a half to go for a pick. Threw a ball into traffic with a minute and a half to go for a pick. He probably knew I have to go 90 yards down the field, then get a two-point conversion. I have to press. I have to get this ball pushed down the field. If he doesn't have all these things going on in his mind, maybe he doesn't make a stupid decision like that or try to force something and press. So, like, analytics, I get what the numbers say, but not everything is played out on a spreadsheet. Not everything is meant to just be a mathematical equation. There are are 11 guys with different brains that react different in pressure situations on the field. Stop acting like mathematics can solve that. And so in certain situations, it may work. I get that. And it worked apparently a few times this year, but like everybody just accepting it as fact frustrates me, guys. It does. Gabe Kuhn, football guy. No, I agree with you. Let's move on. (laughs) (laughs) So I just went on like a nice five or six minute rant and uh, I like it. We just move on. Great. No, it's good. All right, cool. Um, Real quick, before we get into the next one, uh, we're going to talk stats in this next topic. But I got a stat to tell you all from tonight's. There's an NBA game going on right now. This is Monday night. We're filming. Minnesota's playing. Carl Anthony Towns, Christian's favorite NBA big man. What? Um, huh? That's what? Not That's not true? No. Oh, I thought you liked, I thought you liked Carl Anthony Towns. No. My bad. He's played 19 minutes in this first half. Guess how many points he has? He's got Four. 41. 41. 41 points in 19 minutes. I actually four- see the updated one. It's 44 in 21 minutes. It's half <laughs> Joel, and B- Joel Embiid has 60 right now. He is, he is 14. <laughs> What's going on? What's going on with these yeah. big men? He's 14 of 60, at least at this point. He's 14 <laughs> of 16 from the field, and he was 8 from 8. He's 8 from 8 from the three-point line. Not anyway, bad. Not, not a bad night. Joel no, Embiid does have, have 59. I know. This is nuts. What okay, big men are Carl Anthony right. Towns. Hey, do you think he does his low voice after the game? Yes, like his post game. Job's not finished. I'm not worried Job, about this. Job's not finished, man. It was just a good night. It was a good it's night. A good night. Me. Yeah. <laughs> hey guys, <laughs> he is seriously the corniest person in the NBA. But I, I don't want to. I don't want to go in on him. This was not what this. Speaking was of about. somebody who's not corny, Patrick Mahomes is 28 years old, boys, um, and he is now. Uh, led the Kansas City Chiefs to another divisional playoff. AFC Championship. That's what I mean. AFC Championship game. Tell me 
y'all were y'all y'all wanted y'all y'all sent some stats and some numbers our way. I want Christian. I want you to kind of take the lead on this one and just tell me some of the stats that just are eye popping to you about Patrick Mahomes. Well, I might as well just put my mic on mute real quick. Yeah, just go on mute. We're both. I'm not going to go now. for as long as Gabe just did. I promise you that. I can't. I can't form that many words. Um, but yes, <laughs> most people that listen to the show or know me know that I am a massive Patrick Mahomes fan. I think he is the best football player that's ever lived on the face of the planet. Yeah, I, I get it. We can get into the goat boat conversation, but he is the best player that I've ever seen play football in my entire life. Don't care what this year looked like. I've seen him for long enough. I know that he's the best player I've ever seen. Six years as a starter, six straight AFC Championship games. He has only played one road playoff game, which was on Sunday against the Bills, in which he won, um, and he played nearly flawlessly. You look at some of the throws he made. I know it wasn't the eye-popping stats that we're used to seeing from him in the playoffs, but some of the throws that he made uh, were absolutely ridiculous. In particular, there was one to Marquez Valdez-Scantling, where he steps up in the pocket, flicks the wrist, boom, there it is. Um, just made made good throws all night. He made one that wasn't caught to Justin Watson on a corner route. I don't know if, if y'all caught that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of fading away. Justin Watson, one-on-one coverage, hit Justin Watson right in the chest, and he dropped it. Yep. Um, but to me, the crazy one of the craziest things, there's so many that we can go through here. Patrick Mahomes has now played 16 playoff games in his six-year career. He has 4,500 passing yards, almost 500 rushing yards, 43 total touchdowns, and seven interceptions. And he is 13 and three in playoff games. Two of his losses have come against Tom Brady, the other one against Joe Burrow. He is in the AFC Championship game every single year that he has been a starter. And this year, to me, is by far the most impressive. Statistically, no, it wasn't. This was his worst year statistically, but this was the worst team that he's played on. Specifically, offensively, there's very little uh, receiving weapons around him. Travis Kelsey, probably the best tight end of all time, in my opinion. Hasn't been as good this year. Still been one of the better tight ends in the league, but not what we're used to seeing. Outside of him and the last four to six games from Rasheed Rice, there was nothing to throw the ball to. MVS, not good. Justin Watson, not good. They went back and got McCole Hardman. Uh, after the Jets released him, not good. Uh, Kadarius Tony, horrible. I, I mean, there's no, he had nothing. He is literally playing by himself. One of the, I think, I think they easily had the most drops in the league this year. I don't even think it was close. But still, inevitably, here again, the Chiefs are in the AFC Championship game because they have Patrick Mahomes as their quarterback, and he is the best player to ever play. Gabe, you've got some stats, too. All right. Now, of qualifying starters that have played 10 playoff games in their career, (laughs) Patrick Mahomes is first in win percentage, 813. He's Mm. first in yards per game, 312.8. He's first in TD to INT, 38-7. He's first in passer rating with 106.7. He's first in completion percentage, 66.8. Uh, he just eclipsed the uh, pre-30 playoff wins record. He's at 13. No one else has had that many, including Tom Brady. Um, but now, at 28 years old, these are the people he's tied with when it comes to playoff wins. Ben Roethlisberger, two Super Bowls. Brett Favre one Super Bowl. Roger Staubach, I have to go back to see how many Super Bowls he, he he's Dude. won. Uh, if he wins the AFC Championship this year, 
he will have tied Terry Bradshaw, John Elway, Steve Young, and Peyton Manning for playoff wins. <laughs> and if he does win the uh, the Super Bowl this year and gets to 15 wins, he will only be trailing Joe Montana by one playoff win. Again, he's 28 freaking years old. The only people he'd be trailing if he does win the AFC Championship game, though, are Joe Montana and Tom Brady. It's nuts. And then also the question becomes, okay, um, when the going gets tough, like when when does uh, when he's down in playoff games, when he has issues, you know, what does he look like? So far in his career, when he's down by seven plus points at any point in a playoff game, he's eight and two. The rest of the NFL combined through that time, when they have been down by seven plus points in a playoff game, the rest of the NFL is 13 and 60. Yeah. Like it just defies any logic what he's been able to do. Um, I think he's the best quarterback we have ever seen. Not the most accomplished yet, but I think he's well on his way. Um, And even when you think that it's going to go bad, he just played his first road game ever in the playoffs. It still ends up in his favor. So we are watching absolute greatness. And I, I don't know of any other way to put it. Those stats are just mind numbingly good. All right, let's move on to uh, segment number three. I, I mean, our topic number three. I think y'all are, y'all both did it perfectly with Patrick Mahomes. He's phenomenal. It's awesome watching guys like him play. Um, UFC 297 happened this weekend. Um, be honest with you, boys. Wasn't that, wasn't that thrilled with it? Kind of a boring card. There's only one thing I really want to talk to you guys about, and that's the middleweight division in the men's uh, uh, UFC uh, middle, middleweight division. Um, obviously, the championship was on the line between Sean Strickland, who is the champion, versus Drakus Duplessis. Sean Strickland is defending his title for the first time since he took it from Israel Adesanya. I mean, beat him up, deserved to win that fight. So, of course, the championship is his. Drakus beat him in five rounds. Um, decision win. Split. Close fight. Split decision. Um what are your guys' thoughts? Did this does this move does the Sean Strickland Drakus Duplessis thing move the needle at all? <laughs> Not at all. Not even close. No, it, it was gross. It was great. It's like the, who, who like buying that? You just feel kind of shorted. You really yeah. do because Thankfully it's an interim, it. and then somebody can step up. I feel like Robert Whitaker could have saved us from all this by beating Drakus Duplessis, but he mm-hmm. got he got knocked out in the second round. Um, but no one likes either of those guys. They don't fight particularly fun. No. There was no knockout. And that fight, it's like, okay, Sean Strickland won technically on the feet, and he struck him more. But in the end of the day, Drikas had, what, six takedowns? Yeah. And some of them yeah. were stuffed. It was just kind of boring. Just, and, it, like, the it, it, it just feels like it's, it's just a placeholder. And let me tell I don't you, think anybody is excited about that. Let me tell you how much of a needle mover Drake is to plus he is not. He made Sean Strickland the the baby face in this fight. And Sean Strickland is a jackass. <laughs> like, he's horrible. Am he I wrong horrible. on that? He's terrible. Like, nobody. There's really compl- there, are, 
there are like five minute compilations of him saying like racist remarks and like yeah. sexist he's he's transphobic remarks he even said it in like the freaking like yeah. the, before the fight he's making transphobic remarks it's like dude why do you have can you just act normal for a half and, second and drake is duplessy made the fans in canada say you know what we like yeah, we like this guy exactly. Yeah, we'll get oh behind my you gosh, because man. you are a nothing burger. Like, like Drake yeah. is Duplessis. I'm sure great fighter. Congratulations to him. Don't want to rain on his parade. You know, he's been fighting for a long time. He's 21 and two, but damn, like ain't nobody. But it, it kind of comes down to like who gives a shit. Nobody. Everybody's <laughs> no waiting does. for Israel to come back. That's all they're exactly. waiting for. That is this is 100%. the Matt. I, I said this before we got started. This is the Matt Sarah versus George St. Pierre type situation where George St. Pierre was beating everybody's breaks off before. Got into a fight with Matt Sarah. Matt Sarah got a lucky punch, knocked him out. And everybody's just like, hey, man, congratulations, Matt Sarah. You're going to make a long career out of that one fight, right? Like nobody, he didn't do anything else for the rest of his career but he's still the champion. So congratulations. And Sean Strickland can say that too. You are still the champion, but we're all just waiting for the rightful champion to come back, man. That's all yeah. we're waiting on. This this is just feels, the middleweight division has always been my favorite division in the UFC. And so I'm like kind of annoyed that Sean Strickland and Dracus Duplessis have been the last two champions for this division because it's there's so many other better people you know robert whitaker israel adesanya are two of my favorite fighters ever and so anyway yeah. yeah no you're exactly right it's just a placeholder no one cares until israel adesanya comes back that's when the middleweight division will have juice again because right now it absolutely does not but fellas we are going to wrap this up as we mentioned at the top of the episode we will be back in studio next week so we appreciate you guys for joining us this week if you're watching on youtube you can like subscribe and comment there you can do the same wherever you get your podcast apple spotify anywhere else you can listen to podcasts we appreciate you guys for joining us and we will see you back here next week thank you for listening to on the bluff if you enjoyed this episode leave a rating and a review wherever you download your podcasts also like and subscribe to bluff city media's youtube page Head over to www.bluffcitymedia.co for comprehensive coverage of Memphis sports and how you can become an insider.